Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. Welcome if you're here or watching on our live stream. Uh, I'm going to do things a little bit different. So in front of you, in your card, is a blank 3 by 5 In your seat is a blank 3 by 5 card. So I want you to take that and hold on to it, and I'll explain that in just a second. Um, for those of you that do know me, I used to referee for Major League Soccer, for MLS, and then I also did some second division, some stuff for FIFA. So I traveled around as a professional referee for 10 years. And I remember there was a referee, I was like, I don't want to work with this guy, and I'm going to tell you about this story throughout this today, but I ended up getting stuck to him, stuck on a flight from Charlotte to LA, and then we were rooming together. So I'm going to tell you more about that, but... So think about that. So take those cards out, and I want you to think about somebody that you would not want to get stuck on a flight with for five hours. Maybe it's a neighbor or a family member. Hopefully it's not the person sitting next to you. But I want it to be personal. I want it to be somebody that you dislike, somebody that you can't stand. I want you to go ahead. If you don't have a name right away, think about it. But throughout the time, I want you to write it down and then put that to the side, and I'll explain it later on today. Okay? So you have a little bit of homework, but go ahead and think about that name and put that on there. So listen, we are in week seven of our series in Acts. I have loved our, I love Acts, and I love the series. I think it's been great. Uh, Jeff did the first two weeks, and then he's been on sabbatical, so we've had a, a little bit of different teaching, and it's been fantastic. And so two weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter eight. And what I love about Acts eight is you see, uh, and we didn't go through a lot of detail, but the gospel goes to Samaria. So in Acts chapter one, eight, Jesus said to be witnesses through all of Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. And in Acts 8, Samarians and Jews hate each other. Racial tension to the point that you would not stop and help one another. Right? Jesus gave the parable of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, stopping and taking care of a Jew. It was radical. So that's Acts 8. Last week was Acts 9. And we see Paul, who's also named Saul, so Saul Paul, who was persecuting the church. And God used Ananias to go and pray for Paul to, that he would receive the Holy Spirit and remove his blindness. So we see some radical stuff in Acts. So if you're an early Christian, you're probably like, man, God, we've gone to Judea, we've gone to Samaria, we have Paul on our team, we're good. But we're going to look at Acts chapter 10. And if you would, what I'm going to do is we're going to be in all of Acts chapter 10. I'm only going to read the first 16 verses. So if you would, if you'd stand with me. Uh, a couple weeks ago when I preached, I said I was going to say this, and then I went right into the prayer, so I'm going to be intentional. So I'm going to read the scripture. It'll be on the screen for you to follow along, and we'll say, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and the church will say, thanks be to God. And I'll make sure I do it this time, because I missed it a couple weeks ago. And on my way home from church, Becky was like, yeah, you missed that. I'm like, no, I didn't, and I missed it. So we're going to do it today, all right? So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come and say, Cornelius, and he stared in terror and said, What is it, Lord? What he said to him was, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose, name, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier 
for among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour, which is noon, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And, a, and in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and the birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat it. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray real quick. Hey, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. We pray that you speak today, that your word, which is alive, will be spoken, and that you will silence me, and that we will honor you through this message. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can have a seat now. And I did it, so I feel accomplished already. All right. It was supposed to be a joke. Rough crowd this morning. All right. All right. So listen, I want three main points that I want to work us through. Okay. The first one is that we are all outsiders. We're all outsiders. And then from there, the second point would be God brings outsiders in and uses us for his glory. So God will bring an outsider in and use for his glory. And our third point is that the gospel overcomes all barriers. So that's what we're going to work through today. So we're going to start with uh, number one, we are all outsiders. So Acts chapter 10, and if I'm honest, I have glanced, I've read this before, I've skipped over it. Um, I have never really studied it. And I've always looked at it like, oh, that's really cool that this, this sheet comes down and Peter sees all these animals, but I've never placed an importance on it until I had really studied it. And another embarrassing thing is, uh, this was written around 39 AD, so they say around nine years after Christ had died and rose again. For some reason in my head, I thought that the church took off a lot faster but it, at nine years, it's gone through Judea and parts of Samaria, but it has not gone to the Gentiles yet. And I don't want to take away from those nine years. That's amazing. But I, for some reason, I thought it was two or three, right? So I'm showing some of my ignorance. But as I said, it has not gone yet to the Gentiles. So what is a Gentile? Well, simply put, it's a person who is not a Jew. The word stems from the Hebrew term goy, which means nation. So a Gentile wasn't describing who someone was, but rather who they were not, in this case, a Jew. It's important for this passage, but it's also really important for us today because originally Israel was God's chosen people, right? So God chose the nation of Israel. They had a law to follow, and if they followed the law and had a relationship with God, they would be made right. But throughout the Bible, as you read and you realize that though being a Jew and following law was never good enough, they couldn't do it. So that's why Jesus had to come to restore and make right the relationship. So Gentiles are considered outsiders. We would be considered, as a church, outsiders. We are not Jewish. So in this passage, there's two different characters that I want to work through. The first one is Cornelius, and he was a Roman centurion. So a centurion was someone who was in charge of a, roughly 100 soldiers. So we have Cornelius, who is in charge of soldiers, so he is a, a Roman and a man of authority. And what we see from, in verses 1 2, so it talks about where he's from, Caesarea, and it says that he was a centurion of the, the Italian cohort, but it goes on and says this, he was a devout man who feared God with all of his household, he gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. So 
Cornelius is a pretty good guy. I mean, he's an outsider, but he's doing the right things. Some of the, one of the commentaries I read said that Cornelius was in the category of what the Jews called God-fearers, someone who respected and feared God. They were sympathetic to and supportive of the Jewish faith. Yet, they stopped short of becoming full Jews in lifestyle and in circumcision. So what this means that the Jewish people of the time respected and appreciated these God-fearing Gentiles, they couldn't really share their homes, a meal, or their lives because it was against the Jewish law. So you start to see some attention here. So you have Cornelius, he's an outsider, but he's not a Jew. And I think Cornelius is someone that we can all relate to. We're all a bit of outsiders. And I think the big issue with Cornelius is that he knows who God is with his head. He's trying to have a relationship. He's praying, he's giving, but he doesn't know Jesus yet. And I think we can fall into that trap. We can know God. We can give our time, our money. We can be here at church. But if we don't know Jesus, it's all in vain. You know, Ken talked last week. He said that often people believe that they're Christians based on where they're from, where they're born, or where they live. And it's only it's that relationship with Jesus that makes us a Christian. That our works are not enough. And Jesus even said that no man or woman comes to the Father but through him. Right, so Jesus' own words are, we have to have a relationship. And I think we can struggle with that sometimes. People will say, well, there's got to be more than one way to go to heaven. And if that was the case, then why would Jesus come and live his life? Why would he die and why would he rise again? He did that to restore the broken, our relationship, the, the shalom that was broken. So if we look back in a verse in chapter 10, verses 3 through 8, so we, we see that the ninth hour, so around three o'clock in the afternoon, he has this vision. And, it, and his response is fear, right? He's afraid, but he still says, despite fear, what is it, Lord? And the voice of God says, your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa. And he's basically saying, go find Peter. So you have a man of authority, a man of power being told by God what to do. And what I love, though, he gets over his fear and he acts in faith by sending two servants and a soldier to look for Peter. So that's, that's Cornelius in a nutshell. So let's talk about Peter. And what I love about Cornelius real quick, and as we introduce going to Peter, is that there's a lot of tension. See, Cornelius would represent everything that the Jews would hate about the Roman occupation. So the Bible doesn't say specifically that Peter had a problem with the Romans, but it's pretty much implied because he is a Jew, a good Jew, and the Romans are the government, the power over them. So a little bit about Peter. Peter is one of the first 12 disciples. Right? Uh, his brother Andrew came and said, hey, I found the Messiah. Peter was a fisherman. He dropped his nets and started to follow Jesus. So he is one of the original. His original name was known as Simon, as mentioned in the text, Jesus called him Cyphus, which means Peter or rock, which is his name he gave. And Peter had some ups and downs. Peter definitely showed some really good moments and some really bad moments, right? So Peter says Jesus had asked him who he was. He said, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. Later on, Peter walks on water. Uh, but then later we see that Peter, Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. He says, oh, I'll, I'll die with you. And he denies him three times. Later on, after Jesus is ro- risen again, he says, Peter, do you love me? 
And he asked him three times, and he says to feed my sheep, to care for my sheep, care for my people. So you see this pattern of Peter doing well and then not so well, and which is really relatable. And I think it's, I really appreciate that the Bible has that in there. And right before this, and back in Acts chapter 9, so at the end of chapter 9, there's two miracles that Peter gets to perform. So the first one, I think the verses will be up here on the screen as well, is the healing of Aeneas. Right? The guy who's paralyzed for eight years. And Peter basically says, in the name of Jesus, get up. And he, and he walks. And what I love about this story is that then the residents of Lydia and Sharon see him. And they all turn to the Lord. So Peter does this awesome miracle. And then a couple of verses later, in 40 through 41, there's a lady named Dorcas, also, which is translated to Tabitha, where she was caring for the widows. And she dies. And so they call for Peter to come. And Peter takes him out of the house, and he kneels down, and he prays, and he says, Tabitha, rise, and she, death is defeated. All right, so Peter is on this amazing journey where God is using him, and he's doing these miracles. Sorry, just making sure I'm following along. So that's Peter, right? So we know we have Cornelius, who's this man of Roman authority, and now we have Peter, who's a disciple, who's, right now, he's on a hot streak. Peter's Peter should, could be celebrated. He's doing some awesome stuff for God. So that's setting our scene a little bit. So if we go to verses 9 and 10, and it basically says that the next day, so the reason it's the next day is where Caesarea was, the Jopa, is, they say 30 miles. So it's over a day's journey, whether it was walking or a donkey or whatever they rode or walked on. So Peter goes up to the housetop, and they say the six hours, so it's around noon. And he became hungry. Man, I am so grateful the Bible leaves that in there. Peter is praying, and what happens? He gets distracted. Anybody here praying ever get distracted? Yeah, I do. Uh, I get distracted. I get hungry all the time. Um, but there's so many distractions that I have, and I, what I love is that the Bible keeps those in there. So then, so Peter is praying, and then he falls into a trance. And kind of a paraphrase from that, in this trance, he sees the heavens open. He sees this sheet come down on the four corners of the earth, and in it are these animals and reptiles and birds. And then in verse 14, it says this. Look at Peter. So Peter is told, and what I love is in my Bible, the, letter, the words rise, Peter, kill, and eat are in red, which implies that these are the words of Jesus. So Jesus is saying to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. All right, so this is Peter who just did two amazing miracles. Here's his response. No, by no means, Lord. So he's saying, no, God, I'm good. But he justifies himself right away. He says, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So we see Peter who's done all these miracles now saying, no, God, but don't worry, I'm good. I've never broken the Jewish law. I'm not going to eat this. And some of that is to Peter's defense. There's, you know, hundreds of years of these laws passed down. These are traditions that he is told to not eat. For example, if you were a Jew, you did not eat pork, which meant you missed out on bacon. So I felt really bad for the Jewish people. But God is, so, and this is probably my own issue with, I had always looked at this passage as only seeing this, this, this sheet coming down and Peter being told to eat. But it's more because Peter is being prepared. And then in verse 15, it says this. It says, And the voice came to him a second time. And again, in the word, red letters here, the words of Jesus, What God has made clean, do not call common. And in verse 16, it says, This happened three times. So we get to see that Peter is hard-headed. Again, he has to be told three times. And I'm, again, I'm grateful 
that I'm not the only hard-headed person and that God gives me examples in the Bible. It doesn't say it's good to be hard-headed, but he says, hey, he's human. So if I go back to that story in the beginning about refereeing, right? So I, I am hard-headed. Uh, that referee, here's how I got there. That referee, I was told nobody wanted to work with him. He wasn't a good teammate. He cared about himself. Some people said he was a womanizer. Others said that he would only, you know, do the game only for take any credit he could get, anything bad was someone else's fault. So nobody wanted to work with him. And here I am stuck next to him on a flight for five hours, and I'm rooming in, in the hotel. And I was like, okay, God, what are you doing? And I'll come back to that some more. So I want that's going to use that to segue to my second point, how God will bring outsiders in, and he uses us for his glory. God brings outsider in to use for his glory. So Peter has this, this vision, right? And now he's perplexed. He doesn't know what to do. And the, the two servants and the Roman soldier from Cornelius, they show up, they're at the gate, they're looking for him. And Peter is prompted by the Holy Spirit. And it says this, it says, uh, the Holy Spirit said to him in verse 19, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and copy them without hesitation, for I have sent them. First, we see Cornelius. He was prompted by God to ask and send for Peter. And now we have Peter who had this crazy vision and he is prompted by God to go talk to these three people. If we back up real fast, back in Acts chapter 9, I mentioned in the beginning, when Saul has his conversion to Jesus, God tells a man named Ananias to go and pray and lay hands on Paul. And if you're Ananias, you're probably like, hey, God, you know who he is, right? He's trying to kill us, throwing us in prison. You want me to go pray? Are you sure, God? Like, are you having an off day? But Ananias does it. He is prompted by the Holy Spirit. He says in verse, uh, Acts chapter 9, 15, 16, verses 15, 16, says this. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he, Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the, the sake of my name. So Ananias sees Paul as an outsider and a threat. So now we have three different examples of, of people being prompted, being told by God, by the Holy Spirit, to go and do something. And if I get personal for a minute, there's many times that I have felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It could be something like sending a text to check in or calling somebody, hey, how are you doing? What do you need? Uh, opportunities that God has put in my heart to pray with somebody. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had a coworker that I could tell was off, and I went, and I felt the prompting. So I sat down and said, hey, what's going on? And I listened, and I felt another prompting to pray with them, and I didn't really want to pray at work, but I did. And it was amazing because it wasn't anything I did. It was the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and that person needed prayer, and we both shared some tears finding out what's going on with their family. But sadly, if I'm truly honest, there's many times that I have promptings from the Holy Spirit to reach out to somebody or to pray with them, and I just don't do it. I'm busy. Maybe I'm hungry like Peter. I often make excuses. And those are opportunities where I'm missing of bringing somebody from the outside into the presence of Jesus. If I go back to that referee story, as I'm sitting on a plane, I remember saying, hey, God, please let me fall asleep. Please let me fall asleep. Of course, I didn't fall asleep. So my prayer changed to, hey, God, speak through me. And I can tell you, for the next five hours, we talked the whole time. And I got to know his childhood, his rough background, 
I shared my childhood. I've learned that he was having issues in his marriage because he was traveling so much through soccer. I got to see the human side of him. There's a little bit more on that story, and I'll share that at the end. But as I thought about it, really, God prepared Cornelius, right? Cornelius was giving of alms of his time and his money and praying. Peter is obviously a missionary. He's out. He is, God is preparing him. God put me in a flight, was preparing me as well. Jesus, God wants to prepare us. And he does that because God brings outsiders in for his glory. He uses us. I'm going to say it real quick. If you don't know Jesus, if you know God with your head, but you don't have a personal relationship, I would love to talk with you. Whether it's here in person or if you want to reach out online. And what I want to say is often I think we say we want you to love Jesus. And I think loving Jesus can be hard to demonstrate. So I want to encourage you to trust Jesus. And let me help you, let me explain this real quick. My kids, when they were younger, they're, they're older now, so they don't even want to trust me anymore. But I say, remember putting them on the edge of the pool and say, jump in and I'll catch you. And they would, are you sure, Dad? And they would jump. It was their showing, they were demonstrating their trust. Jesus asked for us to do the same. And as we trust him, as we personally trust Jesus, we will learn to love Jesus as well. So if you don't know Jesus, I would love to have a conversation with you today. Please don't leave without that. So God is working on Peter. He's preparing Peter for this. And the word I want to use is Peter had to overcome his disdain, his prejudice for outsiders, for Gentiles. And here's how God can be sneaky. Just like he put me on a flight for five hours next to this referee, God puts Peter in the house of a tanner whose name was Simon. So verse 6 says that he was lodging with one Simon, a tanner. And the reason that's important is a tanner was really just frowned upon by the Jewish culture. The tanner's profession dealt with dead animals and urine. But if you look throughout Luke's accounts, he mentions, he shows that Peter, by Luke mentioning, uh, excuse me, Simon the tanner, he's really showing that Peter, who's playing this early role as a missionary, is learning to embrace all different peoples, all their professions, and eventually the Gentiles. So God was using this opportunity to stay at someone else's house to prepare Peter. And now God is going to confront Peter with him meeting some Romans. And the reason that is because God desires the work in us and through us. God brings outsiders in and uses them for his glory. And we are called and we need to be willing to be used by God. So if we look back in verses 21 and 22. All right, so Peter is prompted by the Holy Spirit to go down. And so Peter goes down to the men and he says, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So the cat's out of the bag. These men are Romans and a Roman, not just a, a soldier, but a centurion, is seeking Peter. Go back to those three-by-five cards you have, the name of somebody you wrote down. How would you feel if somebody that was associated with them, a family, they came to your house and said, hey, I want you to go, they want you to come over and dinner, they want you to talk to them. What would your reactions be? What if that person you were said, all right, God said, you're going to be on a flight with them for the next five hours, and in a hotel room for the weekend? What would your reaction be? 
Which leads me to my third point, though, is the gospel of Jesus overcomes all barriers. So as we think about our reactions, I want us to see what Peter, how, how he reacts. In verse 23, it says this. And remember, this is not Peter's house. He is the guest, and he says this. So he invited them in to be his guest. He invites them in. Peter, as a Jew, could have done a couple of things. He could have said, hey, we'll stay outside. We can talk, but you can't come in. Or he could say, hey, there's an inn, a hotel down the road. You go down there, and in the morning we'll, we'll go and meet Cornelius. But he invites them in. And one of the commentaries, the scholar says, by entertaining these Gentile guests, Peter went against the customs and the traditions of Israel. He went against the customs and traditions. And if I'm honest, I think there's a lot of customs and traditions that are passed down to us. Right? Maybe it's around holidays or birthdays. We all have traditions. So if you think about the name of that card, the reason you don't like that person, is it because of traditions or customs that have been passed down to you? If you think about the name of that card, are there customs or traditions or even teachings that you're passing down to your kids or your family to dislike this person, to dislike an outsider? My goal is not to single us out here, but I really want us to, I want to think about the current state of the world where all we hear in the news is the hate. See, as a church, we'd say that hate is a result of sin. And Tim Keller says this about sin. He says, biblically, sin is anything that falls short of God's will and glory, that violates his law and his character. That is sin. Another definition that I've heard and I often use is that sin is the breaking of the shalom, the peace with God. And our good works don't restore that peace. Our good, we can never do enough good. So Jesus restores the wholeness, the broken relationships between humans and our creator. That is the gospel. That we are all outsiders of God. Can you say we are all enemies of God as a result of our sin? And the answer to this is the gospel of Jesus where he came to restore the shalom with God. And he invites us to participate in the sharing of this shalom, of the peace with those around us. So if we go back to our passage here. So it says in verse 24 that Peter goes with them and he takes six other uh, Jews with him, pretty much as witnesses, which comes helpful later on when they don't believe that everything takes place. But what I love about this is it says that in verse 24, the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. And look at his response, his faith. He had called together his relatives and close friends. Cornelius trusts God from a vision, sent for Peter, and then he brings his friends and family saying, they're going to show up because God told me to do it. That's some faith. So the next couple of verses, I'll kind of paraphrase, but basically is Peter goes into the house, Cornelius falls at his feet and starts to worship, and Peter says, get up, I'm a man just like you. But what, what I want to highlight is, and then as Peter says this, he says this in verse 28. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Check this out. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection, and I asked them why you sent me. Peter realizes he's entering the house of these outsiders, but it's because God is calling them not to call them common or unclean. 
The name on your card, do we call them common or unclean? Or probably other names or words for those people on our card. So as we go through it, Cornelius gives his recap of the vision that he saw and how God told him to send for him. And in the end of verse 33, he says, I sent for you, and you were kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all you've been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius, an outsider, realizes he's about to be in the presence of God. And look what Peter says. And Peter says, he opens his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, the restoring of Shalom, he is Lord of all. And Peter continues on with his sermon, and in verse 43 says this, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, will receive forgiveness of his sins through his name. Peter overcomes the barriers of dealing with an outsider and speaks the gospel. And what I love about it is verses 44 and 45, when Peter was still saying these, so he's still giving his message, his sermon, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And the believers, so the six that came with him, from among the, the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. The gospel of Jesus overcame the barriers of Gentiles. And now we have our first Gentile convert. And what I love through this passage, through the studying, is how Cornelius, a man of authority, a man of power, humbles himself. He, he not only just humbles himself as a Roman soldier, he humbles himself and asks for help from a Jew. And while he does it, he also brings other outsiders, his family, his friends, in with him. He brings his friends and family to learn about Jesus. And I also love how God uses Peter, this former fisherman who is hard-headed and has to hear the same thing multiple times. And God uses that stubbornness to then break it down and share the gospel with a Gentile. Peter was saved. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter had already been greatly used by God. But at the same time, Peter was still Peter. God didn't use Peter because he was perfect but because he was available and willing. I think we fall in the trap that we have to be perfected by God before he can use us. But I can tell you that God uses just as we are. But he does, if we don't humble ourselves, we will stay on the outside. God wants us to be humble. He will humble us. I mean, he used a five-hour flight to humble me. And he uses various methods to bring outsiders in to his glory. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to close. I have a story, and then I have a challenge for you. So I'm going to share the story. I've shared this before a couple years ago when I preached, but I'm going to share it again because it speaks really speaks better than I do. I can. It was originally posted uh, from 1959 by the Guiding Post, and there's a lady named Edith Taylor who was married and had a family. Her and her husband had been married for 23 years when her husband had to go to Japan for work, and he would faithfully send letters back home, she would, which she would read to herself and the kids. The letters slowly started coming less and less. Weeks went by, and then one dreadful letter came. It read, You are not going to believe what I'm about to tell you, and whatever I say, it's going to crush your heart. But I have fallen in love with another girl here in Japan, and I will not be coming back home. 
Edith's heart was broken. And for days, she didn't tell her kids. Finally, one day, one of the kids said, Mom, what's wrong? Why isn't Daddy writing anymore? And then one of the other kids said, Is Daddy not coming home anymore? Through tears, she says, No, he isn't coming home. And one of the kids shows the example of Jesus and says, Well, just because Daddy doesn't love us anymore doesn't mean we're not allowed to love him anymore. And she says, You're right. So the kids and Edith continue to write to him. The girl he married was a 19-year-old servant girl. So as Edith, former husband, continues to write to the kids and to her and sends pictures of his new family and he has two girls, Edith's heart was basically broken. It was steamed with every letter. Finally, one letter came one day and it said that he had been stricken with cancer. And he asked Edith, his ex-wife, if she could send money monthly to help take care of his two girls as they would not have enough money to live off of. As Edith worked through her hurt and her anger, God started to change her heart. God was working in her and was about to work through her. So Edith writes back and says, I don't have enough money to support my own family, but here's what I'll do. When you're dead, if they have no money or help, send them to America and I will help teach them English and help them learn to be self-sustaining. And that's exactly what happened. The girls came over at the age of three and five to America. The mom had saved them enough money just to send the girls. And Edith loved the girls and raised them as her own. And then eventually, Echo Taylor arrived on a plane in America, and Edith met her at the airport and hugged her as she came off the plane. Edith loved her as Christ would have loved her. And this testimony right here as, should be on the screen as well. Edith Taylor ended her testimony by saying this, in this dark, dreary, hellish situation, I thank God for the ray of light and the hope to share some of the love of Christ in this very dismal situation. If I go back to that story of the referee, as we became friends uh, starting that weekend, I remember the next day we were in the hotel room and I'd shared my faith and, and, and shared just the gospel of Jesus and he asked me to pray for his marriage. So we prayed. Now, nothing amazing happened. I didn't baptize him in the bathtub. Um, but it was an opportunity where God humbled me, where God allowed me to bring an outsider into his presence. So as I told you, I was going to send you with a challenge. Those three-by-five cards, I want you to take those with you. I want you to, if you haven't written a name down, think about it and write down a name this week. And I want you to take it and put it somewhere where you're going to see it. Bathroom mirror, by your phone, in the car, uh, at your desk at work. If it's, a, if it's a co-worker, I probably wouldn't put it at your desk at work. <laughs> it's a little advice. But I want you to take that, and I want you to see that name, and I want you to pray for them this week. I want you to pray that they get to know the grace and the love of Jesus. And I also want you to challenge you to pray that God will change your heart, that you will not view them as an outsider, as common or unclean, but as a child of God. Church, if we were to do that, what would that look like? Think about how God would use us to care for the people around us, the people that he has put into our life. I hope that you don't have to sit next to somebody for five hours on a flight that you don't want to sit next to. But if you do, know that God can use that time. So my challenge is as you go out these doors, you're going to take this card with that name and you're going to pray for him throughout the week. And then I would love for you to tell someone about that. Uh, have some accountability. Say, hey, I need you to check in that I'm praying for this person. 
Don't keep it to yourself. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And as we do, I want us just to think about the barriers that we've put around the relationships of people. You know, that referee, I had put barriers of not liking him and not sharing the gospel because of my dislike towards him. And God overcame those barriers. The gospel of Jesus will overcome those barriers. So as the band comes up, what we'll do in a minute or two is we're going to take communion. So Rebecca and I will be up here, and you will come, and you're going to receive communion. You'll receive the bread of, as represents the body of Christ, which is broken for you, and the juice, which is represents the blood of Christ, as an opportunity for us to realize and to be in fellowship and communion with God, Jesus, who overcomes all our barriers. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your love, for your grace. We thank you that we once were outsiders that you have brought into your fold, that we are children of yours, that we can walk with you and have a relationship with you. God, I pray as a church that we would seek out opportunities to share the gospel, to love people as they are, to share just the knowledge of you. Jesus, I pray that you would use Oak City, use us as the church and the big church, we use us to share the gospel of Jesus with everyone we interact with. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.